So welcome everybody. This is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience for Wednesday, July 21st. I can't believe it that half the year is more than half the year is gone. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to think too hard about that, but um, we have uh, an amazing show today. I'm just, there's so much that happened today and I kind of hate that this happens every day that we do one of these things, but I don't hate it because it's, there's so much to, to, to go over and to discuss. But um, today in particular, there was just so many things that were lighting up for me as I was trying to make sense of the news. And anyways, um, today's going to be great. Um, we are it's joined- also, oh, yeah, go. It's, an, it's another day where um, half of this I didn't even get to talk about today. So, you know, you know it's, it's almost like the, the Tech Meme Ride Home um, podcast is almost got to be like twice a day. It's like morning and evening, like news, you know, like an actual commute show. Uh, that's been brought up before, but there's, and there's only, only one so of you. I, I know <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how it is. Well, well, one thing before actually this, this dropped, um, after, I believe after you published, um, if I recall correctly, um, clubhouse is now open for everybody. Um, I, I feel like I have to bring that up. I have to mention that, um, we got our start actually, this show got our start on clubhouse. So it, it is a big moment, I suppose, for it finally to be out to the world. Um, I do think that from a product development life cycle, life, life cycle perspective, and Ross, you can actually speak to this as well. You know, the fact that they went from more or less zero product to you know a 1.0, well, a year and a half. It's it's um it's a good amount of time, and the product is pretty consistent with where it was. But obviously, they've scaled it, they've grown it, they've added a lot of um, moderation features and tools, and now they have removed that uh, invite wall. And so now anybody can get it on iOS or Android, and we'll see. Um, there's a lot of, I guess, questions about retention and about whether it's going to, you know, continue to grow. But maybe it's one of those troughs of despair, and then it'll, you know, rise and rise over the, you know, subsequent weeks, months, and years. Anything you want to say about that, Brian? Not, not really, except for the fact that, uh, yeah, this is, this is where we were exactly a year ago where you, you invited me, uh, where we were in these sort of audio rooms and there was like 5,000 people in the beta (laughs) and things like that. Um, and, uh, it, it seemed magical and it still seems magical, I suppose, but either that, or it's just evolved into, um, an easier way for podcasters to <laughs> to get people in <laughs> to, to do podcasting, as opposed to what what did I used to do? Well, it was mostly um, uh, basically Skype that I, uh, I did all the stuff years ago for. So, but that's actually that's a good point. I hadn't, you know, I I do know that um, for remote podcasters. Like there were a few browser-based things that would sort of record locally, and then there, there always it. has there always yeah. have been right. And it's it's just always the thing of, um, I mean, shit. When did I start? Uh, Twenty fourteen podcasting. So it wow. was like, oh my god, you, you you had to find a, a tool that that most people could understand or use, and then half the time all those years ago, you had to even walk people through how Skype worked and things like that. But so, right. uh, You know, if, if I I know this is being, I'm not, I'm not trying to like belittle what has been achieved in, in clubhouse, but like, look, the idea that, um, for an audio medium, you can just be like, Hey, um, open this app on your phone and then let's have a conversation. Uh, Hey, this is, uh, better than those days. I mean, and I, I, yeah, I'm going to jump on that point a little bit because 
for those who have been listening to podcasts for a long time and are in that world and do the production and all that, getting one of these shows together can be, you know, quite an elaborate affair. The fact that I was able to see that Ross had launched these things on product hunt today. And then I reached out via Twitter and was able to get him on this show to make this happen. And of course, Ross was able to, you know, check with comms quickly and get the affirmative and come on. I think it's just, it's, that is, that is like super magical. And, you know, for me, it's a great way of putting the things in context that we're seeing out in the world that used to be happening with these big corporate, you know, orifices as Steve jobs, I think said, um, where you just would get the excrements, you know, from what they produced and that was it. And if you didn't like it too bad, but now we're in direct bi-directional conversation with the people who are making these tools that we're using on a daily basis. It's just, for me, that's, that's part of the magic of, of both this format and the things we talk about and uh, it's a little meta, but anyways, um, I think it is worth pointing out that, that major shift in difference in, in access. Okay. So actually speaking about, this to some degree. I guess I'll, I will segue into um, the launch of Hyper. Um, I am hoping that at some point we can get Josh uh, Buckley, who's the CEO of Product Hunt. Um, he's, he's been in that position, I guess, since the beginning of the year or so. And um, I've been kind of waiting to see what they'll do and what's going to happen next. And um, when I had a conversation with Josh, when he joined Product Hunt, he did allude to wanting to do this kind of accelerator program. And um, a Hyper is that. So Hyper launched they like Andreessen Horowitz. They got a very fancy domain. They got hyper.com. Um, I went and looked in the Wayback Machine, and it was not very well used for a very long time. So I'm sure they got it for a pretty reasonable deal. Um, but I think what they're doing is, is, is super interesting. So let me just uh, explain kind of like their model. So their model is it's kind of, I think it's an eight-week program. Um, they will invite a small number of companies in. They will invest $300,000 in each of those companies. And um, they will do these programs four times a year. Um, and what I found was the most interesting. So, so also they said that this was inspired by Product Hunt. It's not like the venture arm of Product Hunt, although the relationship I'm sure we'll we'll see how that you know plays out. Um, it probably means that Product Hunt will be top of funnel. It'll be a source for finding companies and founders, but it also allows them to have the flexibility of going broader outside of the product hunt ecosystem um, without maybe hurting people's feelings. I don't want to speak on their behalf. I don't know anything that isn't you know public knowledge, but um, I think that there's a little bit of wiggle room in there. Um, although it's being run by you know people who run product hunt, it's not product hunt itself. Um, and the things that they are focusing on, which I think this is, I guess, the thing that I found most interesting because capital has become something of a commodity, um, is that they're helping companies with community distribution, talent, mentorship, and fundraising. And so those are the things that, you know, Josh and the team and the folks who are working on that, um, think are the most important and the most strategically, um, I guess, challenging to accomplish in today's market and environment. It's less about the scaffolding. It's less about cloud. It's not even really about, you know, design and things like that. Of course, design is important, but building community moats, um, you know, helping uh, the talent that you uh, attract to grow and to become stronger and better participants and contributors, um, and then getting distribution. And product hunt is an angle to that. And actually, that's probably one of the things that we could talk about today. Um, you know, I don't know, Brian, if you want to, talk any more about hyper. I just thought it was like super interesting, um, 
now that they have that out. It's, it's, it's sort of one of the things I've been waiting for to happen from the product hunt mm. ecosystem because, of course, AngelList had acquired product hunt a couple years back, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they never quite made it like a one-click button where, okay, I've designed and launched my product hunt, product hunt, and now I want to go raise money. And so let me go over to AngelList to make that happen. I just thought that was the most logical thing, and that didn't happen. So Hyper seems like it's not quite exactly that, but it gives people, uh, I guess, a next step. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I, I, you know, again, uh, we 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 could ask people about like what the the ultimate vision is for this, but I mean, like it, this is the, all of the things that ever since there was um, a Y Combinator, ever since um, you know Andreessen Horowitz uh, evolved into, it's not just that we're going to give you money and sit on Sand Hill Road and like. Um, you know, pontificate on high. It's it's more this full service, and it, it's not even a full service thing where it's like no, you, you give so. people. Yeah, it, it's more the community aspect of it. Like, yeah. and and you see that with Andreessen, you see that with Initialized, you see that with a whole bunch of places. Um, but what's interesting to me is that taking the product hunt um, thing and and piecing that into what Y Combinator did with this sort of cohort thing, with this sort of community thing, like that is also on deck. Um, on deck is also in the mix. Right, right, right. So it's like it, it's 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 not plug and play. Like that's that's kind of reductive, but mm-hmm. it's more um you come with an idea and then we've got the platform, we've got the people, as you say, we've yeah. got the moat, we've got the distribution, we've got whatever you need. Um, you don't have to want for anything through the entire life cycle of your company, in theory. Um, so, I don't know, that's like, uh, it, it, it is modern uh, VC, but it's also like, um, you know, it's it's taken people <laughs> a, a little while to put all of these pieces together and, and think of this as the modern form of, mm. of um, capital. You know, just to step in. Yeah, please. This is kind of a natural thing, right? Who owns uh, Product Hunt is part of AngelList. Yep. Um, most uh, there is this long track record of people who started, you know, with blogs uh, like Mike Harrington and TechCrunch. Yep. And then go become early angels, VCs, et cetera. They grow up in the size of their funds, et cetera. And meanwhile, all of the traditional like Series A funds are effectively becoming media companies. Yep. And some of the best sources of <laughs> content about how to do entrepreneurship where exactly. like 15 years ago, that content was sparse. Yeah. We, in fact, we had a conversation with, with Sonal from Future um, a couple of weeks back and talked all about that. So I think it's, it's super interesting, like what you're saying, right? Where there's almost like this folding over that seems to happen, you know, where you start out as a content creator, you have a perspective and then either, you know, money or talent or whatever flows to and through you because you have a thesis about the future. And so it's like, let's go build that future. And then you become a fund and then you're distributing, you know, money. And then now you need to sort of create a platform to tell the story broader. And then you have a bunch of people in your portfolio. And so you have to get them out there through distribution. And so that then you need to become more of a media company because you have to have a savvy set of publishers that understand the the context and the nuance and the thrust of what you're doing that's different as opposed to, oh, it's like this thing we were already familiar with and already know about. And so therefore we're going to talk about it in a reductive way, as opposed to maybe a, a way that's charting a path or course for the future. Chris, let me ask you a real quick question. Um, 
based on the work that you do with people that actually launch things <laughs> sure. on, on, on Product Hunt and uh-huh. things like that, um, do you uh, have you have you heard anything? Has there been any like sort of um, kickback about this or something like that, where it is sort of like, um, mm. oh, this is getting professionalized or something like that, or is or is is the reaction so far just sort of like, okay, great, more tools and things like that. You know, uh, if you so if, if you go into Product Hunt, um, and I'll have to pin the tweet actually to the um, the hyper launch. Um, there were, there were a bunch of questions, um, but none of them seemed to be too negative. I think a lot of people were excited and interested. Product Hunt has a very international and global audience, and there's still not penetration of capital um, and VC across the world equally. So I think for that audience, um, this is yet another way for them to connect and to be recognized and to get the resources that they need you know, to build and to grow. It's also worthwhile uh, to note that um, Hyper is offering 300k at, I believe, a five percent um, cut, and so that's a better deal than what YC yes. is, is offering. Yes. Well, or or what a lot of even seed um, yeah. investments are offering right now. You know, yeah. seeds are looking for like fifteen, twenty, even. You know. Yeah, percent exactly right, and so that that's very founder founder friendly, and I, I just think they're also as a result probably going to be a bit more selective. You know, to to make sure that they're betting on you know great opportunities. Um, yeah, I just um, one more thing, and then yeah. we can leave this behind real quick. But um, because there is this whole idea that um, you don't, it, it's 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 more of the professionalizing and the toolkit izing of this uh, sort of early stage of um, funding startups, where on the other end of it, you have these solo um, capitalists, people that are you know, raising funds that are just doing, um, um, you know, like newsletters or YouTube channels and things like that. And like, so that, that sort of goes in the opposite direction where it's just like, um, it's, it is sort of more of the personal network thing, except it's more Mm -hmm. of a network. That's not like, uh, it used to be, Oh, it's a network that's in Boston or in San Francisco or something, but it's now more of a network that's across the internet. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I've just been like, trying to I haven't heard anything negative about it. I'm just wondering if we'll see anyone um if there's sort of like a sides will be taken where it's mm. like well this isn't what you how you want to do it you want to be you want to be with people you know versus these sort of like plug yourself into a toolkit thing and and maybe I'm I'm anticipating backlash that won't happen but yeah I don't know like th- things are changing in the VC market. You know, I, I've seen a number of memes and jokes about how, you know, everyone's going to have a, a venture fund in the future, essentially. And to some degree, that's true. You know, we, we don't think of it as a, a venture fund, but everyone who tips and everyone who buys badges on Instagram is like a mini VC. They're a little mini angel investor. They're providing funding for people to do the things that they want to see in the world. And they're not expecting a, a return on that investment necessarily. They're just expecting more, you know, that content right. to be created. I, I wish I could remember the article, but there was an article that I was seeing recently about especially the YouTube um, um, early stage people it was like well if you're um, a YouTube creator Mm. um, that has I don't know 100,000 whatever and and somebody comes in with 10 million subscribers or whatever and they want to invest in you for a piece of what you're doing like you should take that all day long Mm -hmm. because they can give you the distribution and things like that so that's what I'm saying Mm -hmm. is like yeah on one end of the especially 
early stage round, it is the sort of, um, well, the solo um, investor thing. And then you have things like YC and things like Hyper, where it's like, no, 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 we have a full service toolkit for you. So it's the professionalization and the democratization that are happening at the same time, at least on this end of, of um, startups. So. Yeah, but it's also narrative or thesis or, you know, where I can follow Packy McCormick or something or get into like not boring capital um, or some of the other ones that are like launching their own funds because, you know, they have an audience. They've been writing to that audience. They've been explaining what it is that they're, you know, wanting to do and what they think or you know, where the world is going. And then they're allowing people to invest alongside them without all the, I don't know, like normal pomp and circumstance of typical VCs where there's like whining and dining and going out and like all that, you know, kind of smoke filled room type of thing. It just feels like, especially with the pandemic, we've learned to maybe establish trust in a different way through these mediums over the last year. And in fact, okay, we've talked enough about hyper for now. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. Now let's switch over to Ross, because Ross has been working on and building a platform on the very tool that most of us have been establishing that trust through over the last year, which of course is Zoom. Now, I know Ross from a very, very long time ago. In fact, um, actually, okay, we're going to go all the way back here. Ross is going to appreciate this, and I'm sure he's going to remember this story. Um, But I I could not not tell this part of the story, um, which is that the entire 
I don't want to, I don't want to like take too much credit for anything, but the entire web 2.0 kind of phenomenon, I feel like started in August of 2005. And again, I'm very biased, but, um, Ross was at a wiki company back then uh, called Social Text, and he had an office or was just about to open an office in Palo Alto. And this was, I got to say, actually around this time, probably in 2005, um, uh, Tim O'Reilly's Foo Camp event was coming up. And Tim O'Reilly is the, O'Reilly, you know, the publisher of O'Reilly Books and, and so on, um, of the Web2O Expo and many other um, developer conferences and events. And he had planned this event for, you know, 200 of his, you know, friends up in Sebastopol, California, um, uh, you know, with Larry and Sergey and, you know, a lot of like, you know, big shots um, back then. And um, I, I knew about this event, but I, of course, was not invited. I didn't have that many friends. I didn't know anybody out here, really. Um, and I thought, well, you know, he's an open source guy. What if we just kind of clone his event and fork it and we'll do our own? And that event ended up becoming uh, being called Bar Camp. And so... I sort of took it upon myself with some friends to, you know, co-produce our own little open source outpost. And originally it was going to be uh, literally camping. It was going to be an event in the woods and at some lake in Tahoe or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, of course, procrastinated like I always do. And it, it was six days until food camp was going to happen. And like, we had to have this event the same day. Like to me, this was like very important. It was like a spiritual uh, decision that you had to make a decision. You're either with them or you're with us. You couldn't do both. Cause a lot of people were angry with me. Cause I was like planning it for August 7th, 2005. Anyways, we didn't have a venue. We didn't have anything planned. Nothing was ready to go. Uh, there was an app called Plazes, P L A Z E S. It's probably lost in the lore of internet, but it was a location. It's sort of like snap map where you could see where your friends were. And I happened to be working on a social browser at the time called Flock. And in my list of places was Ross Mayfield. And he was like down the street or something. I don't know what it was. And I reached out and I was like, hey, like, do you have a spot or something like that? Like, I really need a place to go. And he's like, hey, we're about to get this place um, in Palo Alto. There's nothing in there yet. But, you know, if you guys want to use it, totally, it's fine. And um, he he saved the day. And then, you know, there's been, I don't know, 300, 400 of these events that have happened uh, in, in the last 15 years, 20 years, or however long it's been. But that's that's when Ross and I met. And so we've both been on sort of parallel journeys since then. But Ross, if you'd love to like, you know, give us a little bit more background, um, you know, what you've been up to and how you arrived at Zoom, that would be great kind of uh, context for what you're working on now. Yeah, you know, um, so Chris, back in 2005, when we had that event, yeah, which was a, you know, open source, open space methodology, simple rules, anybody who shows up can give a talk. We organized the entire grid of what occurred that day in less than a half an hour. And, you know, so I'm going to I'm going to quiz you. So what were the what were the startups that launched at the first bar camp, of which there's been 15,000? So. <laughs> um, yeah. so Pandora launched, TechCrunch launched, uh, Flock launched. Um, let's see what else. Um, I don't know if social text was ready to we, go. We were around. I think you've got the big ones, okay. right? But these yeah. were people who, they didn't have a launch plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they just showed up and they're like, oh my God, like there's so many people here. Let me just give a demo and give a talk, right? Yep. And um, so the other part of Back to the Future was you were working on a social browser with yep. Flock. Zoom apps 
is oh we've God. embedded great, a browser into Zoom. Uh, right? <laughs> comes full circle. So, exactly. So all of these apps essentially are web apps. And so we're building on the, the shoulders of the giants of web. And then also a set of REST APIs and webhooks that have been around for a while. Uh, and as well as a JS SDK to let that web app talk to the client. Okay. So that's kind of, anyway, it's interesting, at least to me. The, uh, today we launched Zoom Apps. Um, it's 50 apps plus that you can go and use if you upgrade to the latest version on Mac and Windows. And it's a way of running apps in Zoom. These apps range from collaboration apps, which is where my background is, um, kind of collaboration, productivity, whiteboards, um, you know, meeting management tools that let you track the agenda and meeting notes and take action items, integrating with your existing workflows like, you know, your task or project management tools like Asana as an example. Um, <clears throat> a lot of ways to kind of get your team on the same page, stay focused, make the meeting more productive. But then because Zoom is so funny, like it, you know, everybody knows it as this SaaS darling um, before the pandemic, right? Uh, a startup to aspire to in both like just nailing an incredibly hard product problem that just worked and keeping it still simple as well as, um, well, and then the pandemic hit, right? And I think it's from December to April, uh, growing from 10 million users to 300 million daily meeting participants. It's crazy. It's like unprecedented, right? Yeah. So all of a sudden, Zoom went from this thing that was a, a very serious, great work tool, a thing that people have tried to solve as a problem. I even tried solving it as a problem once. And then all of a sudden, we're running the education system, we're running the healthcare system, and we're keeping families and friends connected while they're like cordoned off in their apartments and homes and stuff, right? So what's been interesting about this is who uses Zoom is, well, a lot of people for a lot of reasons. And so it's interesting about the 50 apps that we have. And like, literally, I just came from a launch party that was organized by four or five of the startups that are in our program and have launched their apps today. Apps like Pledge to be able to take donations for nonprofits in the meetings fathom for doing really great recordings and sharing clips uh, in an automated way so you don't have to take meeting notes uh, warmly, which is like a reportive for Zoom or more people would think of it as like, how do I know the profiles of all the different people and express you know, my identity through a different virtual background that says who I am? Uh, glimpse, kind of a consumer social, like a whole range, but then what we just did was for an hour and a half, trade a bunch of demos um, of video games. So literally it's like time to put the video back into video games. <laughs> so like all casual genres or casual game genres, right? Um, icebreakers, trivia, uh, you know, charades, um, board games, card games, you know, et cetera, right? Um, well, because I, I think I tried to make this point today that uh, like the Zoom marketplace already existed, but that was um, totally different. Integrating Zoom with other applications, whereas this is bringing apps into Zoom as an right. experience. Right. Go ahead. That's right. 
And that's absolutely right. And so there's 1,500 apps that have been built in the marketplace. Astounding growth over the last little bit for obvious reasons. A lot of it is about like creating different kinds of client experiences for Zoom or workflow connectors um, and doing things like, you know, how do I connect, you know, my Google Calendar with Zoom as an example, right? But this is a way of making meetings like more engaging, making meetings more productive and making meetings more fun. Um, and so it's just, it's been amazing over the last few months, like working with startups and big companies, um, you know, in, in a program that's basically been run through a series of chat channels on Zoom chat, which people don't know about, but it's effectively Slack. Hmm. Um, and uh, we've had this really tight connection as a community um, where, you know, we do Zoom meetings twice a week, once for developers, once for more business folks. Uh, and try to keep, you know, the, keep it really open. All kinds of sh all kinds of crazy feedback is possible, right? And that's how we wanted it. Um, it's been tough on some of the partners because things have changed on us. We kind of are trying to create a very big new thing. But uh, they stuck with us and we launched something, I think, that's going to be a pretty substantial platform shift. So just um, while you're saying that, I, I found a few tweets um, that I put up in the nest, um, specifically, you know, ones that are listing, um, the apps so people can actually go check them out. Um, I, I'm super impressed by both like the quality, like I took a look through them. I watched a bunch of the videos and this, you know, like you said, when I was building flock, which was meant to be a social browser, which was meant to treat people as a first class citizen, you know, in the, you know, web architecture. Um, I think you're right. Like in many ways, zoom is oriented around conversations and around people and the things that have been built that layer on top of video and those interactions, you know, are about enhancing communication. They are so much in the vein of the mother of all demos all the way back in the, you know, mid forties and fifties, um, that we are finally realizing, you know, whether it is like simple things like whiteboarding, but persistence across sessions or the ability to have simultaneous cursors moving across the screen and pointing at the same thing and being able to say, this is what I'm talking about, as opposed to uh, like just the awkward, like screen sharing thing where only, you know, one person is sort of presenting and taking over everything. And I just, I do think that there's sort of a, I don't know, like a, a moment in what has been launched, um, relative to, I don't know, like I, even whether it's like Google meet or other video platforms, zoom has a certain, I don't know, robustness, um, in the platform and expressiveness, like the number of features that you guys have is insane. I don't know how you guys like as a product person, um, I, I don't know how you deal with all the ifs or statements that have to be in there based on all the different permissions and privacy rules and administrative settings that organizations have. Like it just, it's, it seems sprawling, but yeah. this thing that you launched today, uh, is, is really awesome and really great. So if you want to check it out, it's there. One thing that I do want to say, if you scroll through the nest, you will find a photo, not from the first bar camp, but from bar camp block, which was in 2007 of me and Ross hanging out together. So there's just some <laughs> proof on the internet that we did. Uh, we were in person with each other at one point. I love how you called out Doug, Doug Engelbart because basically everything we're doing is still trying to implement his vision. Right. Right. Exactly. And, um, and I'll speak to that thing about we do have a gazillion settings and configurations 
And that's all driven by the culture, which is really crazy obsessed about customers and listening to them and feedback. Hmm. It's kind of what we have to do next now that we've launched this thing. And somehow as a product team, being able to pull that off while keeping the core simplicity of the product is the most admirable thing. How, I mean, just, just run us through, I don't know, like if it's like a product meeting or what the org structure is like, you know, like I, I, I don't even have a sense for how big Zoom is. I know you guys have like raised a bunch of money, so that's not, you know, a, a bottleneck issue, you know, having worked well, at let Google. Me, let yeah, me yeah, jump in ahead. real quick yeah, because yeah. let's, let's, I, I want to put something in context here, please, which is Zoom only went public. It's, it's funny to think about this because it feels like a different world. Zoom only went public two years ago at like a $9 billion valuation. Mm. And they just, uh, was it this week? <laughs> Announced they're acquiring 5.9 at like a $15 billion valuation. So if you just think about those terms, like you go from being like, oh, we're, we're one of the pack of, um, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, video chat and, and, and to, to now being like basically how work was done around the globe for the last year or so. Like it's, it's gotta be insane and it's gotta like blow your hair back if you're on the zoom team, <laughs> that, that this is what's happened yes. over two years. Right. And I, I, I joined a year ago because I knew that this was the center of gravity for collaboration tools shifted from group messaging to video. And it was going to be video first innovation. I was going to be able to create the category winner. And I'm talking about a very broad category. Yep. And the, you know, I was very lucky to have very direct support to try to work on this project. The, um, you know, but I'll say uh, in some ways, um, like, the company's size in terms of employees has doubled since I've joined, right? I was not one of the people who did that crazy work of being able to go through that scaling, right? And bolstering security and all these amazing feats that those guys did, right? Um, as a product culture, it still feels like a startup. And maybe that's just because of the pace of growth, right? But it's like, yeah, yeah. you know, Eric built the culture around having this company focus on two things, its employees and its customers and being obsessed about doing things right for both of them. Right. To me now we're learning how to be just as obsessed with developers. Hmm. So, okay, let's see. I, I eventually want to get to like the, the product and collab. I want to know a little bit more. I want to dig into the, the developer story a little bit because it has not been my sense that Zoom was a very sort of developer or platform-oriented company, at least conventionally, in terms of how I think about, you know, the, the Facebook developer platform or Twitter developer platform and things like that. So how much of that has been a shift? How much, you know, have you been driving, driving that? Like, what are your thoughts about just Zoom as a developer platform in general, in terms of both its ambitions and its growth from perhaps where it started? Yeah. When I got here, I was astounded to figure out like how there's like four or 500 REST APIs and webhooks. Hmm. And you have to think of Zoom as not just meetings, but Zoom meetings, Zoom webinars, Zoom phone, Zoom chat, Zoom right. rooms, yep. uh, conference room devices, right? And the way that it is truly opened in a very, you know, in a way where you can kind of pick and choose from a menu. Um, and they've been really governing things in a fair, you know, engaging way. Hmm. 
with Zoom apps, we've had this wonderful opportunity to take a, li a little bit more product thinking into uh, what we're trying to create, do it with the community. But the other part is, um, so my last startup, which actually, <laughs> Chris, you product hunted. Right? <laughs> um, Again, full circle. I was, uh, I was trying to build a, a, an app on the Slack platform, essentially a bot with a web app that was a hybrid of a Trello and a wiki, mm. something like that. Um, and the thing, what a lot of when we started in this, we said, okay, well, what are the two things that are most important for a developer beyond a platform that's treating them fairly, right? And is it really is number one, designing for distribution, right? So the we placed an app store right in the client where 300 million people spend, you know, daily meeting participants spend their attention today. Hmm. You'll see in the features, one click to screen share, the word of mouth properties when people are sharing an app in a meeting and how mm -hmm. software is adopted in the context of conversation is going to be really interesting to watch. And then also the viral hook of being able to send an app, whether it's in a meeting to the participants or outside the meeting, Zoom apps also runs in the desktop client, the part that you use before and after meetings to support like asynchronous mm -hmm. use cases, mm -hmm. right? Yep. So... Now, we have to fulfill this. Today is like a launch is a milestone uh, that is the beginning of a thing. It's not the end of a thing, right? Yep. And we have to fulfill distribution for our partners. But that was the first goal. The second was flexible, right? The ability to allow a web canvas to render within a meeting and not have the constraints of, let's say, a kit or other constructs, right? Um, that not only meant people could adapt things into the platform faster, but it allows them to be more expressive and creative in the interaction they're creating. Got it. Hmm. Hmm. I just had a thought and I've lost it. But, uh, oh, that was my thought. So what about mobile? Like mobile is so big for this. Now I imagine I have no idea, actually, maybe you can shed some light on this, like in terms of adoption usage, I imagine zoom is super popular on desktop, but it also, you know, mobile video is incredibly important. And so what, what happens when it comes to these apps for mobile users? Uh, we weren't able to launch with uh, zoom apps for mobile, but it's an important part of the overall experience. Hmm. And is that coming soon? Because one of the things I guess that I'm wondering about is like the app store aspect. Like you can do that on the Mac. You can embed your own app store inside of the app, but Apple's not going to be so happy about you having an app store inside of your Zoom app on mobile. Um, <laughs> this kind of wades into like forward-looking statements areas that okay, I don't want to get enough. into. Right? Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Well, okay. Um, it, it doesn't work today, but it's a thought. Since since we're on uh, touchy subjects, this maybe isn't that touchy. But um, uh, what about things like uh, mm -hmm or mm, other yep. services that want to build on top of Zoom that mm -hmm. maybe are like I'm, I'm not saying they're trying to do Zoom better or something like that. But what what do you, what do you, what would you say your relationship is to developers like an mm -hmm or somebody like that? Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, they're integrated with Zoom already. Um, whether it be to, and this is more like leveraging the SDK part of our business mm -hmm. and our platform. Uh, yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, it's very, there's, you know, 
apps like, uh, and some t in some cases, as an example, Docket started by building a client for a different kind of experience on top of the SDK. And today they launched a Zoom app, right? Yep. So it's natural to assume some of these partners that are building off of the SDK to be able to create experiences. And you can do this in two ways, by the way. Uh, you can build a effectively a different kind of experience or client that's based on a meeting using the meeting SDK. We have a new thing called the video SDK, which gives you video as a service, audio as a service. You know, if I was going to build a video clubhouse or even an audio clubhouse, I'd be looking at something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's competitive with Agora. You could say that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, by the way, I did um, pin the tweet to your previous product that I hunted, PinkPad, if anybody wants to go check that out. so It's an embarrassment piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, the whole point is that it's a journey. You know, there's, yeah, a, there's a personal exactly. evolution. I did, I did yeah. want to ask, um, ask about that, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, given when you started with social text and working on essentially like very early versions of social software and collaboration. I mean, I remember going to those meetups and having those conversations about where this was going to go. And for you to be at this place now, where you're building this, you know, platform, how much of your past, you know, history wounds and bruises and all that, you know, kind of come into what you're building now, or do you need to take a kind of, I don't know, just different attitude and mindset to be building things, these things, because the medium is now different. We're talking about video, real time, synchronous, um, collaboration, uh, versus I guess the way that you would think about building things in the past where it was asynchronous and it was kind of, you know, read, write architectures and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot's changed in social software or collaboration in the last 18, 20 years, yeah. right? Uh -huh. um, the things that, I, there's some patterns I think that remain the same. Mm. Um, a lot of the innovation first occurs in this consumer side and can be adapted yeah. for the enterprise. Yeah. They, um, patterns of uh, the practices of how people work are constantly evolving. Mm. People are, are searching for different kinds of tools all the time. Mm-hmm. We're at an interesting time where you have a lot of the best breed collaborate, you know, best breed collaboration apps like Zoom, unlike let's say 20 years ago or so, have grown up to be very large publicly traded companies, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, integrations are a lot more important than they were, right? You can't just build an app as a total standalone. You have to, you know, support the broader context of whatever the users are that you're trying to serve. Um, distribution is constantly a moving target and just compoundingly is more difficult. Like the conversation you guys were having um, earlier, mm -hmm. Brian and Chris, yep. uh, talking about, you know, for a venture firm, how you were trying to bring an asset of media and distribution for them, right? Yep. There's just so much noise, so much choice. Markets are so much larger, right? Yep. And figuring out, you know, it, it is at this point really common knowledge. Like, if you don't have a distribution angle, uh, you know, there's no point in having a product strategy. Right, right, right. Unless you're building for yourself, you know, and it's like a little yeah. open source weekend app or something. Yeah. 
and then you could get lucky. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, if you're solving your own itch, it's not a big deal. But I mean, I, I think the other thing that this leads me into is a question of funding and finance and what the ultimate economic model is going to look like. Because, mm-hmm. you know, um, for the whole SaaS world, more and more companies of, you know, of course, both moving to the cloud, living in the cloud, and they're using apps that are like SaaS within SaaS within SaaS. And so mm-hmm. I'm paying for a premium Zoom subscription. And then for each of the apps that you launched, you know, I don't, I, I feel like it's not going to be the way it was like, like Chrome extensions where you just like, no, had like this whole plethora of things that you could just choose from. Yeah. And, you know, there, it's all free. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's not going to be the way the world's going to go. So out of the apps that launched today, of the 50, how many of them are free? How many of them are paid? And what are the rates of, I guess, you know, payments um, for, for each or the, the subscription rates for each? And do you think that that's going to be challenging for the market? Or do you think that we're at a place where we're ready to spend a good amount of money on SaaS? So what we guided the entrepreneurs, the companies to do was to try to align with the platform's own business model, hmm. which mm-hmm. is you know, we're a freemium SaaS darling, right? Mm. And it also happens in the social construct of a meeting. Uh, a meeting owner, the host, is the person that owns the meeting and is right. maybe the person that's paying to have a meeting more than 40 minutes or yeah. have the ability to record or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so think about, you know, when for starting point in any freemium is, you know, what is the usage limit and what is the feature limit? Mm. So try to have maybe both because that catches different kinds of behavior and also prevents certain kinds. <laughs> uh, I'm of sorry. It's just like, it occurs users. to me like I could be in a really, like, really important meeting using four or five apps and they've all set a different expiry amount. So, you know, one of them gives me five minutes and I'm like yeah. drawing, you know, a cat and it's like an AI powered cat drawing tool. And so suddenly I'm drawing like ears and it sort of like fills it in for me. And then it, like the timeout stops and I have to like put in yeah. quarters to like keep it going while the, I don't know, the audio enhancing tool is like meowing or roaring because it's not sure if it's a lion or a cat. Anyways. It Someone is listening leave. to that and thinking it's a really good idea. <laughs> um, but the, but I think, so all of the apps have, have usage for free, nothing like time limited, right? Mm, and then they okay. have an option to subscribe or to buy yeah. or... You know, there's some like, well, I've had those moments where my zoom call, you know, back when I was a cheapskate and I didn't pay for zoom, you know, I'd be coming up at like the 39 minute mark and I'd get the warning like, Oh, your call is about to expire. I felt like, you know, I'm in not like jail prison, but like, you know, Oh, my call is about to expire. And like, do you want to accept the collect call charges kind of thing? And it was a really great motivator to like convert. Cause I'm like, this is embarrassing. Like 40 minutes. Who has a 40 minute meeting? Yeah, totally. But so I guess like you're, maybe I'll ask or you that actually, question. Let me, let yeah, me yeah, go for that part, right? Okay. So in the end, if you're going to do a platform venture, you're, you have to be able to, it's going to be judged in the end about are we helping, you know, company, other companies, partners make money and is it going to make money for Zoom, right? Yep. It's not just let's go freely wheelie and see what happens, right? So um, we're at the beginning of that part of the adventure. Okay. I mean, that's fair. I mean, we also don't know. And, you know, I, I guess, I don't know. I'm probably one of the people who would, you know, install 40 different apps and maybe that'll like hurt everyone else's experience. I don't really know, but, um, 
I think it's going to be fun. Uh, I think this is a really, really great moment. And it's super interesting to think about social video as a kind of operating system for these new experiences and apps and taking for granted that everyone's going to have, you know, a video connection and then video becomes a native medium through which all sorts of app experiences are delivered. I think it took me a while to sort of understand that, you know, video is this, I don't know, it's a conduit for delivering meaning. And then you can embellish both the meaning in the channel itself. In other words, like the content of the video, or you can layer on, you know, widgets and components, or you can put them side by side, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, WebRTC might be one of the enabling technologies that kind of, you know, unblocked that thought for me, but you guys clearly have now built on that and you've been building on it for quite a while and it's super exciting to see it come to market. Totally. It's like, you know, we finally have uh, the ability to make people a first-class feature in a yep. product. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Oh, let me also, I have to plug on or mention another thing, and it kind of relates to how the conversation started. Yeah. We did start a $100 million Zoom Apps Fund ah, that's ah. focused on seed and uh, Series A stage. Uh, and so, anyway, that's part of, again, yeah. <laughs> I'm part of the overall economic model of it. And what are, what are the requirements for participating in that? Like, you know, if I'm building video apps and I work with multiple parties, is that okay? Or do I need to be exclusive to Zoom? Or how does that work? I don't I don't think we think that way. Okay. I think it's you should be building on the platform. Yeah. Um, and you and we should believe in you as a company. Hmm. And I. Uh, and that's that's really and that's about it. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, do you have a, a, a range of investment size, or is it just yeah, yeah, two hundred and fifty k to two point five mil? Cool, got it, great. Um, okay, so the thing that I really wanted to ask you about um, is this Product Hunt launch. Like, you know, I've obviously I've been with Product Hunt for a while. Um, I hunt a lot of things. I coach a lot of people on what I, what I call is, you know, bringing their product hunt launch to life, but you did something that I've never seen before. And so I want to dig into this a bit. Um, you know, I want to understand one, like where did this start? You know, was this your brainchild? Like, where did it come from? Why product hunt? And well, I will describe, can, can you, uh, I'm going to describe like the contours yeah. of this, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, which as I experienced it, it was sort of this unfolding realization. And I've seen this happen with other, you know, uh, let's say developer event days where a bunch of, you know, products will land or like an Apple event and you've got like the new iPad and the new iPhone and they're both hunted, but those are done by the community. This was different for a number of reasons. First of all, Uh, Ross wrote a story on the product hunt stories platform. So it's sort of like their mini version of medium. So this is the kind of like Mm -hmm. native content advertising. Um, In addition, he launched the zoom apps platform as like a top level thing. And within that he had maybe, I don't know, 10 or 15 different app makers. And I think, I don't know if you got to invite any of the folks here to join the conversation, but if they're here, we can bring them up. Um, And put them in the gallery. So you've got, you know, six or seven or eight different videos of the Zoom apps from the makers describing what they built. And then you had each of them add a comment to describe the thing that they'd built. And so that top level post is this just rich kind of collection of a bunch of things that launched. And then there was another 10 individual products that launched on Product Hunt today also. 
And so just the, the, the breadth um, and the coordination of getting all these makers to, you know, agree to launch on this day on product hunt on a different platform was the thing that I saw and was just super impressed by. So tell me if I got that right. And if I'm leaving anything out, but that was my sense of it. Um, you know, and cool. you got it, you got it. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. The um, part of it is, was, okay, um, we did reach out to the product hunt team, and because it was from Zoom, they took a call, right? <laughs> right, Instead yeah, of having that helps. To be hunted. And that the only part of what happened that was dependent upon that cooperation was the the, um, uh, the guest blog post, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, but the rest of it was because we had this community engaged in a collection of chat channels. Mm-hmm. We basically laid out the plan that hey, we're going to be putting up a product hunt page about this launch. Uh, we'd love when we post it for you to, um, or we were already collecting. Uh, videos from all the partners who wanted to contribute them. Yep. So we had those ready in like a with the list. Are those also links. in the app store in the Zoom app store inside the app? They're in. They're in the. Um, some of them are the same ones in the okay. Zoom app store. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or in Zoom yep. marketplace. Yep. Right. Um, so that a lot of them were already doing their production work already. Um, 
because we had those as assets, all that it literally was was posting, uh, you know, description and an icon and, uh, you know, in a first post onto the page and then using the chat channel to drive everybody's attention to that. Now, we did say, you know, we're going to put the focus on at launch on this one page and ask for people to engage with it. Right. Which gave it some good advantage and yep. lift and. And, you know, most people very quickly figured out that I could add comments promoting the Zoom app that I just launched, right? Yep. Um, then, uh, but we also left it open if somebody wanted to launch their own product hunt page, and not everybody did. Mm -hmm. um, it's only like 10 out of the 50 or so that chose to do so. Yep. Um, and others are probably going to launch theirs after the fact or in mm -hmm. some other way, right? Mm -hmm. That's up to them. Maybe you could go hunt them all, Chris. Um, <laughs> My <laughs> schedule's a little full, but sure, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that was really it. It's actually it's actually relatively easy as long as you already have the community in conversation with you and you can point them towards a goal. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, well, I want to commend you. I want to commend the community stewardship um, that was clearly at work here. Um, I just never seen something quite like that. And it's so smart, you know, especially if you're a platform provider to really lead with community, to lead with coherence and cohesion. And so when I saw that, I just, I don't know. Um, I'm really glad, one, we were able to get you on and have this conversation and to, you know, kind of acknowledge the work that you guys all did to bring this together and to, to put it out there. Because unlike, you know, some other, um, you know, I would say Facebook's F8 uh, this year was weird, right? Um, at least, you know, I think for Brian and I, we were like, what was that? Um, and so you didn't do or choose to do a developer or like an outward facing developer event. Now, maybe it's too early in the life cycle, um, but maybe talk me through a little bit of that, like how you think about the launch process and whether it would make sense to do a big developer event or um, why you didn't. And but you did like six months ago. I thought I, I remember hmm. covering it, but go on. Sorry. Six, yeah. Six months ago, we announced that we were building Zoom apps. Yeah. Right. That's right. And, uh, and had demos of what people conceptually were going to build. Yeah. Right. Um, and then from there, we've been working in this program through a series of Zoom chat channels. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a the community is a lot bigger than the 50 apps. There's mm -hmm. more underway and in the pipeline. Um, a big thing, like I can see Arun, who's the lead product manager on uh, Zoom apps, is one of the listeners here. Arun and the team are doing is trying to figure out how do we get this to the point where we can open it up, to, have an open platform where anybody can just come read documentation. <laughs> submit an app for review and potentially publish, right? Got it. The, um, one day, uh, you know, we already have Zoom developer events. One day I look forward to engaging very openly uh, with everyone. Hmm. It's something that we just need to, you know, get some more platform features, get, you know, our processes in order, make sure that we're really ready to skip. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense. It's just like, I think it's been interesting, you know, in this remote era to think about what mm -hmm. things do you do is like, you know, kind of a big press style event where you're really trying to like build this big narrative and story and it either hits or it doesn't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously Apple does these enormously elaborate, you know, beautiful, totally choreographed kind of experiences. Um, mm -hmm. You know, with Facebook's event, I was left kind of confused, like, like, what is that? And then Google, of course, had their lawn chairs and, you know, that's Google being Google. They, they're not really that worried yeah. about anything. So anyways, I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, is there anything else that we didn't ask about or Brian, anything else that you want to cover? Um, 
with Ross? No, uh, we, we, we should we should graciously allow Ross to leave if he wants. I, I do want to hit one more thing uh, for our show tonight, which Ross can uh, uh, join in on if he wants. But Ross, thank you so much. Congratulations for the launch. Um, um, if you want to stick around... Yeah, by all uh, means. The one, mm-hmm. the one more thing that I want to talk about is, is Automatic and Tumblr, which feels yep. like a weird sort of um, <laughs> segue... No, oh, um, actually, I can I can segue this for you because okay. uh, I I actually reached out to Matt Mullenweg uh, today, who is the founder and creator of, of WordPress, and he and I um, have been friends, you know, for many many years. And in fact, he was a co-organizer of that first bar camp. So Matt was there. Um, Matt was, you know, he and I were big proponents of open source. And so he wasn't able to join today, but he did say that he would be able to join us uh, in a, at a future event. And so, you know, I'm sure Ross actually has some exposure or familiarity with not only like, you know, the open source roots, but WordPress and the whole automatic family, Jetpack, like all that stuff. So I think actually, Ross, you know, feel free, of course, to stick around. What, what I'm interested in, and, you know, I don't know how much you've been watching what they've been doing, but Automatic has made a, a series of acquisitions this year which to me are about positioning them and placing them, or at least maintaining some relevance perhaps in the creator economy. And they, I, I I'm probably gonna get my chronology a little bit wrong, but well, they, I actually, I, okay, I just, I just uh, brought up the, the tech meme uh, search ah, for this oh, year. Perfect. So they started out uh, by acquiring parsley, which is a analytic service, but the, what we're, what we're probably mm. going to talk about is uh, day one, which yes. is that jur- journaling app for um, for Mac. I think uh, it's and iOS. Yep. Right. 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 A- Apple stuff. That was in June. Okay. Uh, June fourteenth. Then two days later, um, they bought Pocket Cast, and yep. actually two days later, that was last week, <laughs> and then. <laughs> and then um, they bought Tumblr. I can't even remember when they bought Tumblr, but the, the news 2015 today, from Yahoo. Yeah. So Tumblr is testing what they're calling post plus. I, I didn't get to talk about this today, which is why I'm giving a little more background. Yeah, go for it. Um, which essentially allows users to charge followers a monthly fee in exchange for access to exclusive content. Um, Tumblr is taking a 5% cut. Um, so my, my top of the line thing about this is, is holy shit. Um, like Tumblr is perfect for this, like t- in, in this universe of, um, you could rebuild only fans on Tumblr and it's like, well, game over or, but, for but also think about what Tumblr has always been is like, sort of like a link blog thing. Right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's like, if, Besides if it's, it's porniness, but yeah. And by the way, I was wrong about, I, I automatic acquired it from Verizon in 2019. That's right. That's right. That's right. It wasn't that long ago. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, Tumblr, right. Sold to probably Yahoo that long ago yes. or whatever. But no, no. So my number one point is, is that Tumblr is perfect for this because you're saying the porny thing, which I get. I understand that. <laughs> but let's, let's, let's we can, be yeah, set, broader. We'll set aside. We'll set aside. Well, let's be broader in the sense that it's the creative thing where it's like what I always followed people on Tumblr for was your personality and your vision about what was cool. Yeah. And that was a lot of like, it was, it was like Pinterest, you know, like and images mm-hmm. and like, and like th- right. And, and, and link blogging, like, yes. look, this is something that I found that like was review cool. actually, which Twitter acquired. 
Exactly. So um, as opposed to, oh, I've got to start a, s- a sub stack and I've got to write 1,500 words every single day or whatever. Mm, you know, no, no, no. Um, no, the, the Tumblr is perfect for this sort of uh, creator style. And, and when I saw that uh, come across the transom today, I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect. This is so perfect. And, and okay, so this is my larger point. I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm ram- rambling on. But like, is it weird? What if we're seeing um, certain platforms and companies that couldn't survive in a universe where social media was all ad supported, mm. where all of a sudden like they're given new life if it is a creator first economy? Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying yeah. that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I think. One one sort of maybe answer to your prompter question is, yes, every platform. Well, let me think if I really mean this. I, I will I will make a, um, a a bold statement and then I'll decide if I agree with it. But every platform basically needs to migrate from the ad only model for many, many reasons. You know, whether it's the ad tracking transparency that's making ads less effective, whether it's consumer choice and preference, whether it's payments coming to the web. And now it's so easy to pay five bucks for this or five bucks for that, that you don't need to be subsidized by this crappy content that degrades your experience overall. And I think the bigger piece of this, which I guess is my thesis, is that you're not going to be able to sustain um, your the, the, the users that produce your content, in other words, the, the crowdsourced content where users used to be just so happy to have a free blog or website that they would just create content for you for years for free, like me, like an idiot on Twitter, um, without charging for it because you were taking care of my hosting. You were taking care of my image hosting. You were taking care of all the stuff that I used to have to pay for. And so you're giving me a service for free, but it turns out I was powering your business model with my free labor. And now that labor has realized that the things that they're creating, at least those who create, you know, interesting content are worthwhile. And well, that's, there's like, a lot of people that need those people that are creating the good stuff or else the users are going to leave. And so well, unless not, Tumblr, let me finish my thought, unless Tumblr yeah. is able to pay or find some way to remunerate the people that are creating the good content, as opposed to bots or the porny stuff or whatever, then they're not going to have good content and they're not going to exist because the ad market could just like fall out tomorrow. Well, but uh, so this is, this is why I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is perfect. And, and, and it's kind of sad. Hmm. And, and also this might not work out for Tumblr or whatever. And, and we should come back to the idea of what is uh, automatic doing with all of these acquisitions. <laughs> That's also sort of a perfect thing, but like, what would you say the golden era of Tumblr was like? That's 2015. 2000- Okay, I would even go earlier than that. Okay, um, like uh, twelve or something. Like I feel like there was an entire generation that was brought up on Tumblr, yeah, and, maybe and right. maybe you're right. A certain type of person was like well, uh, people. You know, Tumblr, yes. and, and maybe this is because you're in New York and I'm on the West Coast, and I've been on the West Coast, and Ross and mm-hmm. I have been on the West Coast. But you're in New York, and Tumblr and Vimeo were always these East yeah, Coast yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah, weird yeah, yeah. media ad, you know, kind of things. Sort of like MySpace was always like LA, like Snapchat is LA. Like they're very different products as a result of the community and the environment from which they originate. And Tumblr was one of those that was East Coast social media. Well, the point that I'm trying to make is if in 2012, the people wow. it that was founded had, in 2007, the same year right. as the hashtag. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Yep. I, I knew I knew it was it was. So I feel like the golden age might have been like 2010 to 2014. And I'm right. sure there are people yeah, screaming right, right no. now. Being like, <laughs> Yes. When, when I was a freshman in high school, this is my point. 
in those golden eras, there were people that that had sort of like, you know, your favorite emo band. Like people would have yeah. bled for these creators on Tumblr before you use the term. I mean, creator. many of them actually did bleed, you know, it was kind of a <laughs> Yes. And so this is my point is that it's 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 almost a too soon thing. Like this mm. is I hope Automatic can do it because I, I always I love the spirit of Tumblr and I, I believe there the, the embers are still burning there. Yeah. But God man, if you could have allowed the people that made those great Tumblogs uh, back in the day to earn money from it. Like, it's just, I, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. oh my God, this was, it, you were too soon. Um, this is the perfect business model for that. And, and you know, again, hopefully Automatic can do it um, and resurrect that thing. And um, I don't know, maybe they'll buy GeoCities next or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, I think you guys are has both. been gutted, right? Maybe they'll get the domain. Yes, yes. Well, go ahead, Russ. No, I, I think you guys are both on this kind of the same thing. It's like you see patterns where the web goes through centralization and decentralization. And yeah. it's The decentralization starts with creatives, like the people just expressing for free, like Chris was saying he was, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then at a certain point, if – like right now, there is a way in a more like a Shopify style of uh, an alternative decentralized model to make money. And with the web at the scale of audience that it has now, that's possible now where it wasn't before. And, you know, maybe we're in a night, like at least the way I think about it from, you know, a platform standpoint is I want to be able to try to strike a balance between centralization, particularly for things like discovery mm. and decentralization for the ability for people to create and be paid. And I'm, I believe the, the sweet spot, there is a sweet spot somewhere in the middle. Uh, Chris, what do you think Automatic is doing? Because to, to keep going down that list, they just bought Pocket Casts yeah. um, from NPR. So it's like, I, 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 uh, I was looking for the tweet, but uh, somebody tweeted that it's like Automatic is carving out this stake of like these accumulating this tool belt of not just tools, but also platforms for creators and things like that. So like maybe automatic is coming into its own in terms of like in a creator economy, uh, they're the, maybe not dark horse of like bringing this to fruition I, I want, or yeah. something. The one thing that I would wonder, and of course, you know, I have no insider knowledge and that's why I invited Matt on here, but like, what are the conversations inside of automatic and is this offensive or defensive? Are they seeing where everyone else is going? And so they're like, oh shit, we gotta like catch up or, you know, have they been actually in conversation with their creators for a while and they're making the shift? Like one thing that I'm really having a hard time squaring because I haven't been following WordPress, um, that closely for that long, like one of the big narratives for WordPress for quite some time was that it covers, I don't know, like 60% of the web or something like that. A lot of that content, you know, is perhaps of dubious value and it's, you know, there's lots of link farms and bots and all stuff for like gaming um, Google. But one of, um, I guess, WordPress's and Automatic's like business models was around selling corporate hosting to, you know, big companies like CNET or I, I, TechCrunch, other ones have custom WordPress installations and it's this, you know, de facto CMS content management system. Now in the mobile era, and, and I should actually add that one of the value props for WordPress for so long has been about it being open source. Open source seems to not be, or to be a different value proposition today than it used to be. 
it represents a different kind of freedom, a different kind of choice and be, because of the nature of moving to the cloud. And, you know, it's all kind of APIs now more than it is about, you know, oh, I want to like download WordPress and run it on my own hosting infra or something. And so I actually, I downloaded the WordPress iOS app today and I noticed that there is a way to add and upload audio content to WordPress blogs using the WordPress iOS app. Now, I don't know if you need Jetpack. I don't know if you need to like add in plugins to make that happen. But the fact that WordPress already has a bunch of the components of the creator economy built in, what I don't know is if the creators that are publishing that kind of content are one, able to monetize through paywalls or other types of tipping and stuff like that. And two, who are the people who are the audiences of that platform? I feel like, you know, in a way, if you're saying that Automatic might be this, you know, dark horse in the race, just as Pinterest is sort of not well uh, observed by tech press and tech media, you know, there's a story every now and then, but I, I'm uh, redesigning like my my living room. I'm moving in with my partner and um, we're trying to figure out what is our taste that, you know, we have in common. And I started using Pinterest again, and it's a completely different experience. It's like, it's like TikTok meets this creative tool meets like, it's still at the hmm. core Pinterest, but the suggestions and the search experience is so much better than like Google images, like hands down. So I guess what I'm saying is that while we take our eye off the ball of Pinterest and automatic, do they have these vibrant communities that are actually asking for these things and they're figuring out, you know, commerce and uh, payments unto themselves? Or is Automatic responding to where the people that we pay attention to, where I pay attention to, like Twitter and Facebook and YouTube are going, and so therefore they have to follow suit? Well, you know, one, one of the things that people have said for years, uh, investors have said for years, is that like there was always this universe of small e-commerce players. Mm. And that's essentially what um, Shopify has sort of provided the platform for. There were, there, there were tons of people, I'm one of them, that you know, have, have been making you know, small numbers, small M millions of dollars a year in various e-commerce companies or whatever. And, and they came in and did a platform for it. So like, what if what Tumblr, well, not Tumblr, but Automatic is representing is that, whereas all these other platforms are like, oh my God, creators exist? Let's mm. give a platform and tools for creators to do stuff. But what Automatic recognizes is there have been creators all along, and they're sort of like picking up the pieces and helping those people as opposed to inventing the wheel, which is what I feel like mm. other platforms feel like they're doing. Yeah. I mean, it could be, I mean, and, but I guess I also look at like what Instagram is doing, you know, and adding the ability to, you know, create a shop or sell products, like moving more towards commerce. So there's just a commercialization in general of the web. There's a socialization aspect of the web. And, you know, one thing that we haven't talked about, and I'm sure, you know, Ross, this might be maybe interesting is whether or not people are going to be building in like shopping style experiences into zoom apps, or if you're mostly focused on like enterprise clients and business you know, use cases, because I would think that Zoom at some point becomes somewhat competitive with Instagram and, you know, especially as Instagram moves more towards video. If video is everywhere, then people are going to want to be able to do the things that they can do in other platforms on whatever video platform they happen to be using. So help me understand maybe that dynamic. One of the things, uh, like one of the apps I mentioned, Pledge, allows you to take donations. So mm. there's, um, and which is great. Like they brought in somebody from, I think it's called the Plant the Tree, Plant a Tree Foundation in this, you know, meet, community meeting we had. 
and all of a sudden in the span of three four minutes they raise a thousand bucks to plant a, a tree every dollar plants a tree right mm. um and so that there was definitely a social commerce experience that was created at that moment it's just a perfect natural fit um you know uh, I, I let's wait and see what other examples unfold Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. Yeah, makes sense. Um, okay, we've been going for quite a bit. You know, um, I want to just open up. If anybody has, you know, thoughts or questions, feel free to uh, raise your hand now and we'll bring you up. Um you know, otherwise, uh, I think we've hit a lot of the topics. Um, Brian, anything else? Uh, no, except for the fact that this is the second week in a row where um, almost everything we've talked about <laughs> I didn't even get to on the show today. Um, so either we're, we're doing it perfectly on Wednesday evenings or we're doing something wrong. But um, <laughs> Or just, just like a lot happening. Yeah, no. I, I yeah, weirdly because it, usually summers are you think, yeah. um but summers I, sometimes I really but have But I feel to, like that's maybe a, a result of the remote era, right? Like you just like keep launching be. like all that the time. Be. And you know? You know, it's funny um I we all have we, have I ever talked about this before? I don't know, but hmm. the 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 weekend long reads as uh-huh. a segment. Yep. Um was created partially because you know, there are so many stories that I read in a week where it's like, well, this isn't something that's news, but it's interesting to me. Yeah. And so, like, it gave me a place to put that. But also, it's because Fridays are slow. <laughs> so <Right>. sometimes <laughs> if there's only three stories that happen, that's why I do the long reads or whatever. But, yeah, this summer is not a case. There's been some times where it's like I have to scrape around for stuff like that. I, I, I reached out to the um, the other thing that I missed today that I hopefully I'll get to tomorrow is um, – I want to do this week. Um, there's been a couple stories about how, like, and I've uh, we've talked about this before about how AI um, or, or self-driving cars maybe has hit a dead end or whatever. Mm, yep. And there's been some stories that I'm probably going to share on Friday about how, well, maybe we've been going about it the wrong way. Maybe we don't need autonomous taxis. But today, Argo AI says <laughs> it's going to launch a thousand of its. I saw that. Cars in the Lyft network, and I, yep. and I we almost got um, the CEO of Argo because he's been on the show before uh, uh-huh. to talk about it. But um, so yeah, hopefully we'll talk about that tomorrow. So maybe it's it's like uh, Schrodinger's cat, like uh, you know, uh, self driving cars. 
either always are right around the corner or are never going to be around the corner. <laughs> I feel like you've had an ongoing bet and yes, we already well, it, it, it was passed. by 2020 so we yeah, already missed okay. that one. So. You have to have a new bet now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so anyway, yeah, that's the only other thing that was on my um in my notes was the uh, Argo news, but I'll hit that tomorrow. So okay. Well, I, I brought up Steve real quick of uh, the tape drive. Steve, what's what's going on? What you got to say? Hey, yeah, just real quick on um, all the lift things. Uh, that was really interesting. I imagine this could, you know, the news happening today. It's going to happen sooner than later. I saw something about like in their app, um, you know, digging into the code about you know they're going to allow you to uh, choose uh, anonymous vehicle that has. Uh, three seats in the back or two seats in the back. And I imagine the two seats in the back are, you know, all these new vehicles that they're announcing for that. But uh, more to the point for about Zoom, for, I was kind of curious your your perspective on kind of the same struggles that Slack has with um, having integrations and plugins and apps for everything versus kind of a monolith approach that Microsoft is doing with Teams. And do you feel that tension there with uh, organizations that you're trying to break into with trying to provide this product with integrations and apps versus Microsoft's approach of just uh, everything being built in together? So I think by uh, by monolith, I think you mean monoculture, right? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, potato, potato. I mean, yeah. I, well, like, let's. I, all I can do is comment on the approach that we're taking. Yeah, of course. And you know, for that is, um, we are taking advantage of the fact that we're a best of breed app, which allows us to allow allows us to have other best of breed apps on the platform, right? And I think what one of the interesting things that you see that differentiates us at the very launch also uh, is this real like the diverse set of use cases, as I mentioned earlier. Um, enterprise to consumer and games, uh, but then also you know native startups that have been built 100% on this platform because they see that opportunity. Yeah, it just feels it feels different. I I have to admit my ignorance. I've actually still never used Microsoft Teams, um, but I, I maybe I will skirt away and never actually have that experience. I did also hey, cr- yeah. What's up, Chris? Real quick before we go, I thought of one more thing. Okay, we have to, and I'm, I'm totally jumping to another thing, but. Okay. Um, Downvoting on Twitter. Oh, uh, yes. In, in 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 two minutes. Yep. Thoughts. One, you know, Twitter continues to try to change a bunch of things, and um, to me, this is a, as they said, this is a research project. They are trying to see how to get better signal about good and bad behavior. Um, my understanding is that if you downvote something, that downvote is not seen by anybody else, but it is a signal that Twitter can use to decide whether to show or hide different comments, whereas a an upvote is counted as a like. And so there's no difference with kind of, you know, current behavior. Um, I, I think that that's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting. I, I think they're playing with social dynamics. I I don't know. Well, okay. One thing that could happen as a result of this, um, and Facebook has done this for a while, is a better job of kind of collapsing um, large, you know, common threads. Like, you know, for me, maybe I'm lucky if I get like four or five kind of, you know, back and forths or whatever in a conversation. But for people that have like thousands of comments, um, that up and vote, up, up and down vote experience can be very helpful 
for automatically hiding, you know, low quality content versus showing stuff that's good. And if you only have likes, people like things for lots of different reasons. Sometimes it's to endorse it. Sometimes it's to say, Hey, I see this. Thank you. Sometimes, you know, bookmarks and stars, like we back that we had those a while ago, but you know what I mean? Like it's a little bit ambiguous, whereas a downvote is pretty clear. The fact that it's not a social signifier, in other words, no one else can see it, means that it can't really be used for abuse in the same way. I mean, of course, you can have your bot army downvote everything I say, but um, for the most part, I think they're just trying things out. And um, yeah, like uh, I shared with you, um, you yeah, can Alexis put in the in the thing. I'll yeah, Alexis mm-hmm. Ohanian was talking about how uh, you, you haven't really created a product until someone else copies it. And he's talking about how all the way back in 2005, he spent so many hours designing the upvote and downvote on um, Reddit. Um, it, real, uh, one more real quick, and then and mm-hmm. then let's get out of here. How come it's always been binary? I always thought, and I'm talking about going back to 2005, I assumed that things like this would evolve into you could do a plus three or a plus five or a down seven. Well, uh, I medium has there would that. be gradients to that. Medium has yeah. claps. And so you can clap as many times as you want to up until a certain point. And I think, you know, I don't know if like the first I five. I always thought or, that was going to be the, the natural evolution of things, and it never really went to You know, that. so if you remember, um, I believe YouTube had five stars. Right. And what they found was that the majority of ratings, you know, were either like on one end of the spectrum or the other. And so it basically, you know, the the only useful thing was binary ratings. Now, Amazon, I think, has the one that's persisted because having a four star rating on a product actually is useful. You know, it's, it's good. It may not be the best. Um, it may not be universally loved by everyone, but it's still a product that you might buy. You get down into like the three-star range and, be, and below and you're like, eh, maybe not. But if it's like super cheap, maybe it's okay. So it, I think it comes down to what is being conveyed by the rating system and how much um, precision is necessary to understand like the, I don't know, I guess the wisdom of the crowds. So there, there have actually, there were some sliders and there were some other UIs that were offered that provided a greater range um, of, of reaction and response, but users just didn't really, you know, again, it's either you want to smash it one way or smash it the other, and it's either great or you hate it and it should die. So I think that's what happens. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's smash it and, and end it. <laughs> smash the follow button. That's what we want to say. Yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, but, but let's, uh, let's thank Ross. Let's smash Ross with likes. Yes. For, uh, yes. Participating. yes. Yeah. Chris, it was awesome catching up with you. Same. Brian, I'm a long time listener, first time caller. It was really <laughs> much Thank you, sir. Love it. Well, thank you, everyone, for showing up again today. Uh, this was the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience. Um, please follow, like, and subscribe, or whatever the verbs are that you do to podcast content. Um, this should be out on the SpaceCast pod tomorrow. And um, if you want to find Ross, obviously you can on Twitter. He's just at Ross, so he is another mononym. What's up, mononym, my brother, my my, my friend? Um, I. Anyways, I I can't say anything else beyond that. Okay. Anyways, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you all. Later. Later.